1: Let's pray together. You are very great. Full of majesty and there are marks of your majesty that are breathtaking. And I want us to see one. One that stood out so powerfully. Not only in Psalm 8, but on that day when you entered Jerusalem on a donkey. And then at Calvary, Golgotha, the skull. So God, would you come and help me to open this mark of your majesty? And would you grant hearts, those here at this moment, those who are watching this at the North Campus and the South Sight. Grant, O oh God, that we all together as a church and as those who've gathered in visiting would see this mark of your majesty and be persuaded you are God and there is no other. Guard me from error, guard me from pride. Guard me from the fear of man. And fill me now with your Holy Spirit, I pray. And us together with your truth. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So Palm Sunday marks one of the great moments in the life of the church when we can see and savor one of the great marks of the majesty of God. It's a mark that is manifest in Psalm 8, as we'll see in a moment. And it's a mark that, uh, together with Psalm 8, is displayed on that day when Jesus entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. And it is a mark of the majesty of God when Christ died. And it's a mark of the majesty of God that should be reflected off of our lives. And so, uh, right across this message the main thing you should be asking and looking for is what is the mark of the majesty of God that God wants me to see in this service. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. Simply marks in the church year the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in that last week of his earthly life. We're going to look at it in Matthew 21 in a few minutes. But before we do that, I want us to look at Psalm 8. So I hope you're opening your Bible again if you close them so that we can focus our attention for the first half of this message on Psalm 8, because Psalm 8, particular verse 2, is quoted during the triumphal entry. And the way Jesus quotes Psalm 8 is jaw-dropping, if you understand what he means. And I don't think we will understand the fullness of what he means unless we go back and spend some time immersing ourselves in the spirit of Psalm 8. Jesus lived in the Psalms. It was his songbook. We have songbooks. This is his songbook. And he loved the Psalms. You don't, you don't say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the moment of your most exquisite suffering, you don't quote Scripture unless you are oozing Scripture. So I think it'd be good if we go back and soak a little bit. Let the spirit of Psalm 8, the content, the meaning of Psalm 8, grip us and then go and let that have its its tender effect on the explosion of the triumphal entry when he quotes this psalm the way he does. So here we are at Psalm 8. It has a main point that is very easy to see because it is stated in the first verse and the last verse. When somebody gives you identical statements in the first and the last verse, you say, "Okay, that must be the main point. Begin it, end it. Verse one. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse nine. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's the main point of the song. Those two words for Lord, oh Lord, in your Bible probably all caps. Our Lord, not all caps, they're not the same Hebrew word. Very important. Learn what that all caps word means, where it's hundreds of times in the Old Testament. It's the word, sometimes translated Jehovah, Yahweh. It's the name God gave to himself in Exodus three fourteen when Moses said, When they ask who sent me, what shall I say? And God said, tell them I am who I am. And that word I am is the verb on which Yahweh is built. So the meaning of Yahweh, most fundamentally, the meaning of Jehovah, the meaning of Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, is he is absolutely. So. When this says, oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, our master, our king, our Lord, how majestic is your name. I am in all the earth. It means there is no place on the planet where you are not absolute. There is no place on the planet where you do not arrive and say, I am who I am here. I am supreme here. I had no beginning. I will have no ending. I am not becoming. I stand. I am the absolute reality everywhere in the world. There is no other God beside me. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is this amazing, all comprehending name everywhere in the world. You are the totally globe-encasing, absolute reality. That's the main point of the psalm. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, Master, King, Ruler, how great is your name everywhere. So, majesty is clearly the main point. However... Majesty, per se, is not the main point. Otherwise, you wouldn't need the rest of the psalm. Something's going on in verses 2 through 8, which gives what I'm calling a mark of this majesty. God's majesty has many marks. It's not everything you think it is. And it is more than you think it is. And what we need to do is go to the Bible to let the Bible stamp the majesty of God with his marks. So what is the peculiar mark of the majesty of God in Psalm 8? That's what I'm after. And the way it emerges is by seeing two sets or two contrasts. The first one is a contrast between his majesty and children. And the second one is a contrast between his majesty and men in general. Let's take them one at a time. Verse one, second half of the verse says, this is the first half of the contrast. You have set your glory above the heavens. Verse two. It seems to come out of nowhere. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Now, that's the first contrast. You have set your glory above the heavens declares you are high, you are exalted, you are great, your glory fills not only the earth, it fills the sky, it fills the galaxies, it fills the heaven of the heavens. And then, by contrast, babies are introduced. Weak. They don't seem to have any wisdom. They don't know anything. They're utterly dependent on others by the world standards. They're very insignificant, unlike a president or a king. So why are they here? <laughs> why do babies show up in this Psalm that begins and ends, Oh Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? What are these babies doing here? And you can see what they're doing. They're defeating the enemies of God. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Now we don't know right here yet what's coming out of their mouths. I mean, I think well, they're just crying, maybe, or maybe they're saying something. I. It's just something's coming out of their mouths. And whatever's coming out of their mouths, God is making it strong. And by this strength, enemies are silenced. So let's read it. Read the whole verse out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still silence the enemy, and the avenger. So what's the mark of majesty here? The mark of majesty is that God, in his majesty and greatness, stoops to make babies the means of his triumphs. That's the mark of the majesty of God. God's majesty is the kind of majesty that stoops to make the weakest possible human the means of his triumphs over his enemies. Don't miss this. This is very strange. God has enemies right there in the middle of verse two, because of your foes. Think about it. He's God. It is not a problem for God to have an enemy. Just squash him. Just say, be no more. And he's out of existence. This is not a problem for God to have an enemy. He doesn't lose any sleep. He never gets tired. He's never fumbling the ball. He's never wringing his hands. He always knows exactly what he's going to do. For God to have an enemy is not a problem for God. So what's going on? Instead of squashing them, instead of using his omnipotent word to put them out of existence, God chooses to defeat his enemies with babies. Doesn't say why, he just does it. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy. He's going about it in a very peculiar roundabout way that makes weakness the means of triumph. That's the mark of God's majesty. He doesn't just stoop to listen to babies. He doesn't just stoop to care for babies. He stoops to make babies the instrument of his victory. God conquers his foes through the weaknesses of the weak. I mean, it's speech. It's not even this little baby's arm. It's just what's coming out of his mouth. So the weakness of the weak. Silence is the enemy. That's the first contrast. Number two, verses three through eight. David's writing this psalm. He describes God as a majestic creator. Verses three and four. Let's read that. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers. Now, stop there. When you look into the heavens and see moon and vast stretches and stars. Now, don't put these pre-scientific folks in the category of imbeciles, okay? They know that a mountain 10 miles away looks small. And if you walk to it, it's big. This is not 20th century discovery. So, therefore, they know that those little stars given as far away as they are, are very big. And when they say God made them with fingers, not arms, fingers, they mean God is big. Is that clear? God is big. When you describe God as making the heavens with fingers, this is a very big God. We today, we've got telescopes. When we say that, we should be on our faces. God made galaxies with his fingers. Okay, keep reading. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? So what's the point of verses three and four? The point of verses three and four is that God is infinitely great. And by comparison, man is as nothing man is infinitely small. What is man? Look how big you are. You make stars with fingers. And here we are way down here, man. You can't even see a man from here to Hebron. And you're there and we're here. We must look like, why well, you can't even see us. You've got to come down here to see us. We are as dust in the scales, Isaiah said. It goes up. That's the point of these two verses so children are weak and insignificant and has nothing in verse two and now man in general is weak and insignificant and has nothing in verses three and four so the same question applies what are you doing here this psalm is about O oh Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth what Are these babies doing here? And what are these low, no-count humans doing here when this psalm is about God's majesty? That's why I'm probing. What's the mark of this majesty? What are these verses in between these two points saying about the mark of this majesty? So what's the contrast now with Men. What are men doing here? When I said, what are these babies doing here? I said, well, they're just defeating the enemies of God. That's what they're doing. And when I said, what are these humans doing here? The answer is ruling the universe. (laughs) Okay. Let's read it. Verse six. You, O God, have given him. Dominion over the works of your hands. You got a problem with space travel? You got a problem with building cities on Mars? I don't. God made Mars with his finger and he said to man, rule my works. Not a problem. That's absolutely astonishing to me. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? Answer, ruler of the universe. Under God. Man's like a baby. Can't do anything. Doesn't know anything. He's not God. By comparison with God, we are lower than babies, more ignorant than babies. Let's keep reading to let the wonder of this land on us. Verses five through eight, the whole thing. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. Also, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And then he breaks into God's majesty Again, So here it is again. The peculiar mark of the majesty of God is that God not only defeats his foes with the weakness of children, he rules his world by the weakness of men. You make him a ruler over your works. The children, what are they? That you should be mindful of them. They are the ones who defeat your foes. What is man that you are mindful of him? He's the one that rules your creation. The mark, the peculiar mark of the majesty of God is that he takes the weak things of the world and defeats his enemies. He takes the weak things of the world and he conquers and rules. That's the peculiar mark of the majesty of God. The glory of God's strength is the greater because it is established with human weakness. The glory of God's wisdom is the greater because it is established through human foolishness or viewed as foolishness. Turn with me to Matthew 21. Now, we've just spent a little bit of time soaking our heads in the mind of David in Psalm 8, which is the mind of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he came as the God-man. He came as the Messiah. And he came with his mind steeped with the majesty of God. And he bore all over him the marks of the majesty of God. This is what we expect to see. And do we see it? Do we ever? See it. And on this day in particular, we'll see it especially on Good Friday. We'll see it on Maundy Thursday. This is Holy Week. The mark of the majesty of God designed for Holy Week is what we are seeing. It's everywhere in the Bible. (laughs) I could preach this sermon from almost any page of the Bible. We're on to something very basic here. The mark of the majesty of our God is to get triumphs by mercifully wielding his chosen weak vessels, which he became. Here we are in Matthew 21, the triumphal entry. Verse 1, Jesus sends messengers to arrange that he might ride a donkey. Verse 2. Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them. Bring them to me. Now, why did he want a donkey? He wanted a donkey so that Matthew tells us he might fulfill Zechariah 9, 9. Let's read that. Verses 4 and 5. This took place, this donkey riding that Jesus arranged because he bears the mark of the majesty of God on him. This donkey ride that he arranged. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king. Now, there's the majesty piece. Is coming to you humble. And there's the mark. Mounted on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a beast a burden. So see the word king and see the word humble and see the word donkey and you will see Psalm 8 lived out. Would that the chief priests and scribes had eyes. Now the crowd see this. The crowd see this. And the common people had a kind of seething hope that it would be so. Verse nine: Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the the name of the Lord. A little echo, a little echo. Psalm, Psalm eight, verse one: The name of the Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, the word Hosanna means salvation in Hebrew. God save the king. Salvation is coming. The deliverer is coming. The Messiah is coming. Now, Jesus, to fulfill the authority half of the paradox, does an amazing thing in verse 12. He weaves, weaves a whip and he drives out. All the sellers in the temple. Picture that. Picture that. Who are you? Verse 13. It is written, my house, quoting scripture and referring to his father, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. What an authority. To walk into the temple of the living God and drive out those who are selling with the permission of the chief priests. Scribes. And then he does one more authoritative thing. He heals all the blind and all the lame in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, the children are not blind and they're not deaf. They've heard what their parents have been saying. They're standing around. What's going on? This is life. You're troubled by the nursing infant thing. They nursed babies a long time in those days. Three years old, not unusual for a mom to be still nursing at age three. And three-year-olds can talk. So don't don't get too troubled about, what how old are these babies? <laughs> I don't know how old they are, but they can say this. Hosanna to the son of David. They say, son of David, he's the Messiah. He's coming in the name of the Lord and the children are saying the truth. Now, the scribes and the chief priests have had it. They just had it. They cannot take this anymore. They do not believe what they say. They don't believe this. Jesus is the Messiah. The children are getting it right. The leaders are getting it wrong. They are foes. Enemies, Avengers, And they need to be silenced. They open their mouths one more time and they say to Jesus, do you hear verse 16? Do you hear what they are saying? Do you hear what these are saying? Now, what did they mean by that? They knew he heard standing right there. They heard he heard. What did they mean? They meant. We know you hear what these are saying, and we're really puzzled why you don't tell them to be quiet, why you don't correct them, why you are letting them say this nonsense about you. We don't get this. That's what they're saying. Do you hear what they are saying? And then I love this next word. I I, I thought about titling this sermon. Yes. Because Jesus says. Yes. Yes. There is a world in that yes. Isn't there? Don't you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yes. Now, that's kind of breathtaking. And what he's about to do with Psalm 8 is jaw dropping. Part of it you'll see right off the bat and part you might not because there's a little bit of a strange thing going on here. He says, yes, and then he says, have you never read? Now just stop there. If you've been watching what's happening here, the donkey, Zechariah, the cleansing of the temple, the healing, the lowliness, the common people crying, if you were if you were watching this with a Bible-saturated mind, wouldn't you wouldn't you think of something? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't the spirit of Psalm 8 be all over this? Have you never read, and then he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. We got, a, we got a funny thing going on here. That's not exactly what verse 2 said. Verse 2, in the Hebrew, Jesus is rendering the Greek Old Testament here. We got a Hebrew Old Testament, you got a Greek Old Testament, and they don't always use exactly the same words when they translate, or when they render the same verse. And you tell him, what, what he speaks Hebrew, he speaks Aramaic. What's going on here? Let me show you the difference. The one we read from Psalm 8 was, Out of the mouth of infants you have established strength. And remember I said, He didn't tell us what's coming out of their mouths. We don't know what's coming out of their mouth in Psalm 8. Something's coming out of their mouth and it's powerful and the enemies are silenced. Now, the Greek renders it like this. Out of the mouth of infants you have prepared Praise. So the Greek makes the jump to fill the mouth of the infants with what they're saying. Namely, the infants are saying praise. And Jesus quotes that. So what is he doing in quoting Psalm 8 verse 2 in response to Hosanna, Hosanna. Son of David, coming out of the mouth of children. What is Jesus saying? Two things. The first one is breathtaking. The second one is jaw-dropping. It was to me. The breathtaking one is simply to say, Psalm 8, verse 2 is happening. Here, now, the enemies of God are being Silenced. They never spoke again here. It's over. This day is done. The children have the day. And the enemies of God, no more. So Psalm 2, Psalm 8, verse 2, is happening here. This is coming to its full expression here as I arrive. But now here's the jaw dropper. In choosing To go with the Greek version. Out of the mouth of babies you have prepared praise. In the Old Testament context, that's praise to God. And Jesus says, that's happening here. Now, when they say to me, Hosanna to the Son of God. That's the jaw-dropper. When it says in the Old Testament that what came out of the mouth of these babies was praise to God, I choose that to describe what they're saying about me. Before Abraham was, I In the flesh. That's a jaw dropper and gets you crucified. So, what's the ultimate meaning of Palm Sunday? It's the same as Psalm 8. Only now God has another name. It's not Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now he has another name. And his name is Jesus. Oh, Yahweh. Oh, Jesus, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And he defeats his enemies by children. Drawing attention to the truth in their mouths. And he will now continue to follow through in the spirit. The mark of this majesty will carry him through the week. It'll carry him into the garden of Gethsemane. It will hold him there in weakness and foolishness. It will take him to the cross And the weakness of God will be stronger than the strength of man. And the foolishness of God will be stronger than the wisdom of man. The world will be conquered and sin will be defeated. And a rulership will be established over all things in the fulfillment of Psalm 8. And the man... will become king. And we men in him will rule. Christ crucified looks foolish and weak. But all scripture teaches us this. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, here in this service, if you would have a strong Savior, choose the crucified Christ. And if you would be strong, choose the path of childlikeness and lowliness and meekness. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If Jesus were here in the flesh, he would be saying that to you. So may I say it on his behalf. Come to the infinitely strong, weak, Christ. Let's pray. Father, please go beyond what I can do in these weak words and open the eyes of the blind. So that when we read a Psalm eight, we see the point of the whole Bible, that the mark of the majesty of the living God is to humble himself to get his victories through the weak. And the mark of the majesty of the living God is to humble himself to make weak men the ruler of his world. What a God to draw us in so significantly. It makes us say, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You know all the-